You're listening to The Conversation with Adam Weber, lead pastor of Embrace Church and author of Love Has a Name. Hey friends, it's Adam. You're listening to The Conversation. I hope this finds you well today. I just hope it's been a great week. I pray even as you're hearing my voice right now, you would know just how deeply loved you are by God. Well, I'm gonna keep this short. My guest today is a pastor in Silicon Valley. He's an author. He's also a friend of mine. Jay Kim, we met through a mutual friend, Brad Lominick, but Jay and I, we talk about how being online and social media in general, how it divides us as people. We also talk about what the digital world is doing to our souls and why it's harder to follow and connect with Jesus in the digital age that we live in. Jay also shares some super practical ways and tips to how to have a healthier relationship with the online world. This is such a practical conversation that I'm so excited for you to hear. So as always, sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation. Well, Jay, for the person who who doesn't know you, uh, if you'd be willing to share just a, a little bit of your own story and what you currently do yourself right now. First of all, thanks for having me on. Adam, I have such deep love and respect for you and your ministry. Um, yeah, my name is Jay Kim. I'm a husband to Jenny, a father to two young children, the loves of my life. Uh, I'm a pastor. I uh, love the local church and have been a local church pastor for about 20 years, all kind of right here in the heart of the Silicon Valley where I grew up. So um, I serve as the lead pastor at a multi-site, multi-congregational church called Westgate, Um and it's a church I love. And uh, yeah, and then I, I write a little bit or at least attempt to write a little <laughs> bit here and there. And hopefully it's helpful to some folks. So there you go. Well, Jay, I think anybody who uh, is alive right now can tell that our world is becoming more and more digital. And I, I think the digital, like when at first I can remember when even just the internet was coming about, kind of the promise was uh, easier life, more fulfillment. But we end up actually kind of maybe easier in some ways, but end up finding ourselves a lot of, a lot, a lot of emptiness. Do you have any like a picture of the overall effects that you would say of like maybe negative effects of the digital world in general? Yeah, that's a great question. I think in some ways that is like the question, at least the first question to ask about any technology. Uh, it has made our lives easier. It's made our lives way more convenient, way more comfortable in some ways. Things are way more accessible. And that's really beautiful. I'm not against it. And people misunderstand me sometimes. They think I'm a Luddite, you know, and I, I'm saying everyone should throw away their phones and live on a farm and churn their own butter or something. And that's not at all what I'm saying. I love digital technology. But I think we have to be aware, like one of the things that happens, there are two sides to the coin in terms of ease and comfort and accessibility. So this is true of all things. When things get easier and more comfortable, um, by nature, what that means is it requires less strength, skill, participation, uh, less um, honing the craft, you know, because something else is doing it for you. And I think in, in many ways, in terms for Christians, at least like trying to follow Jesus in the digital age, that is one of the great dangers, right? Everything's becoming so easy, so comfortable, so accessible, so quick 
that we are losing our aptitude for exerting strength, skill, participating with effort. Um, and the problem is that's fine when it comes to ordering groceries, but there are some things in life that only come by way of practice, participation, effort, um, honing our craft, honing the skill, exerting strength. And I think the life of discipleship, right? Being formed into Christ likeness is one of those things. Yeah, that's so. And I think that's the danger, right? Everything gets easy. We expect the life of faith to be easy, and then we're frustrated when it's not. You know? Yes, that that (laughs) isn't that true. It's like we're able to to order groceries with the click of a button, and it's like, can I do the same in my relationship with God? And yet you can't, there's no simple click to the fruits of the spirit appearing in our lives. How have you seen that take like share story? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, you know, there was a lot of talk over the last couple of years because of the pandemic about the, the form that the church should take, you know, in the digital age. And I think that question's an important question for sure. All the dialogue about like, oh, is the future online church or is it still in-person church? Do churches still need buildings? Do people still need to gather? This is another thing people misunderstand about me. They think that I'm just like uh, 100% wholeheartedly against anything online when it comes to church. I'm actually (laughs) not. I actually think (laughs) online, I think online, digital, I, I actually think it's the greatest front door that the church has ever had. I just recently heard somebody say, your online is the new lobby. And what they mean by that is when a new person is checking out a church, their first experience of your community is not your physical lobby, it's online. And I think that's a gift. I mean, it's a huge gift. Most of the new people I meet, and I meet new people at our church every week, 99% of them are like, oh, I've been watching for a month. I've been watching for three months and I finally made the decision to check things out. I think that's a wonderful gift. But where I see it sort of playing out in maybe unhelpful ways is that people begin to sort of garner this misunderstanding. Oh, watching the service is what church is all about. And I would suggest watching the service is one step into the life of the body, but there are other steps into the life of the body. And uh, those other steps, those further deeper steps Again, they get harder and harder because they demand more participation, more effort, more shoulder-to-shoulder, life-on-life experiences, being with people who are not quite like you, maybe who have different political leanings than you, different worldviews, whatever it might be. That sounds terrible, by the way. That sounds terrible. (laughs) Keep keep going. Keep going. (laughs) Talk with somebody who has a different opinion. Oh my gosh, yeah. why would we do such a thing? You keep going. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, we do such a thing because when Jesus calls his 12 closest friends, he's like, hey, Matthew, the tax collector, Simon, the zealot. I know tax collectors and zealots are mortal enemies and you hate <laughs> each other and zealots, you know, try to assassinate tax collectors, but we're family now. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. that's hard. That's hard, but it's those guys that launched the Christian movement. I mean, that that that's like the Christian ethic, is to be alongside one another and to allow the walls that divide us to come crumbling down as the Spirit of God um, binds us together as family. I mean, we all have families, and most of us have people in our families that we 
prefer not to spend a whole lot of time with. The problem is <laughs> it doesn't matter how you feel about them. They're your family. Like my kids were seven and four. Most of the time they get along great these days, but there are some days like last night they couldn't share a toy and it was World War III in our house. And so they could feel whatever way they want to feel about each other. But at the end of the day, they're kin. They're bound by blood. They share the same dad. I'm their father. And so it is in the church. Like we can yell and scream at each other on Twitter all we want, but if we are in Christ, you're my brother. And that's how we get formed into Christ-likeness together. And that's hard work. And it's best done, I think, uh, when we allow the digital divides to come down, stop screaming at, at each other on Twitter and begin leaning into one another in real ways. That's so good. Jay, you've got a, a new book that when this releases, it's this week. So go uh, and get a copy. Analog Christian is the name of Jay's new book. I'm halfway through it myself. It's the, the book that I'm carrying around everywhere I go. In it, you talk about three uh, values, contentment, resilience, wisdom. Why those three things? Yeah, I wrote the book because um, I needed it for myself in many ways. The book is a it, the book is a prayer, and the reason is I, I found myself, particularly in the digital age, constantly in this tug of war with discontentment, fragility, and foolishness. I just found myself so discontent for reasons I couldn't even quite identify for a long time. I found myself really fragile. Like I, I used to think I had fairly thick skin, but like everything was just sort of getting under my skin. <laughs> I was offended by everything, by everyone at all times. And then honestly, um, this is kind of embarrassing, but I just found myself making foolish decisions in the things I would say, in the thoughts I would think toward even people that I actually deeply care about and love, all sorts of contempt I was feeling inside for a variety of reasons, you know, based on comparing my life, my real life to their sort of digital feeds and social media, just all sorts of things that were happening in me. So I just went searching. I was like, God, I, this is not the life you have for me. I know yeah. that it isn't. So I, I need, I need you to, to speak to me and to teach me and shape me. And then I just started um, finding myself gravitating toward Paul's words in Galatians 5, you know, this beautiful, uh, really well-known text about the fruit of the Spirit. And he talks about how the fruit of the Spirit is, is characterized by all of these beautiful attributes, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And as I just pondered the fruit of the Spirit, I realized, oh my gosh, each of these characteristics are really the antidote to so much uh, that is just sort of being undone in me. And so I just started reading. I started prayerfully sort of studying the text. And um, I realized, oh, the answer is right here in this timeless, ancient, 2,000-year-old text. <laughs> the answer for our modern-day problem is right here. And so uh, I just deep dove into it. And again, I wrote it really just as a prayer, like, God, this is what I need. Um, and, and that's my hope is that it's it's helpful for folks in, in a similar way. That's so good. So I, I feel like these three are so spot on. Contentment, you know, I find myself struggling with comparison about things yeah. that I have no interest in. It's like now, <laughs> now I'm feeling inadequate about something that I don't even care about. You know, like <laughs> how do we find contentment? 
Yeah, I mean, there when Paul writes about the fruit of the spirit and he gives these sort of nine characteristics, most scholars will say he's writing about them in these triads. And so the first triad are those first three characteristics: love, joy, peace. And I think one of the reasons we feel so discontent is because uh, the digital age sort of um, spirals us into this vortex of comparison. Like you said, I do the same thing. And, you know, even as a pastor, who's like a professional Christian or whatever, it's so sad, man. I'll go on social media and I'll see Adam's social media feed and embrace church. And it, it's just killing it. And it's so amazing. And I watch your sermon clips and I think to myself, I'll never preach like that. I'll never, I'll never be that brilliant. I'll never be that dynamic or whatever. (laughs) I really mean that, man. You're like you're you're just killing it, and I celebrate it. But in my worst moments, I find myself comparing. Right? Yeah. I find myself saying, "Man, I'll never be whatever's in front of me," and that kills contentment. And then that comparison it can lead to real contempt. This happened to Jenny and I. We wrestled with infertility for many years early on in our marriage, and all these friends of ours who got married right when we did. All and these are people I love. They were posting, you know, like pregnancy announcements and stuff, right? Yeah. And I should be celebrating that new life. What a gift. And I found myself just feeling contempt toward these people I love for no good reason. They hadn't done anything wrong to me. They had this beautiful gift. I should be celebrating. But all I could do was compare and 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 then feel contempt. And then that threw me into just a spiral of self-centric despair that I just felt like I couldn't get out of. And all of us do this. I'll probably do it at some point today on my stupid phone. Absolutely. I think we all do it. So what I what I found was, you know, I think we have these shallow understandings in culture today of words like love, joy, peace. We think love is feeling like the butterflies in your stomach, this little spark, you know, like, ooh, I feel whatever warm <laughs> inside, you know, because she's beautiful or whatever. We think joy is just like happiness because of pleasure. I have this like delicious sandwich that I can put on my Instagram and I felt joy. And then peace. We just think peace is everybody quiet down. I'm going to sit on the beach with my Mai Tai and this is peace, you know, but biblically speaking, when you dive into those concepts, you realize there is so much more depth there that love is not just a feeling. Love is a real gift that you receive from God and it's given to give to others that joy Um, joy is possible in the midst of suffering. You see that throughout scriptures, Jesus himself, he goes to the cross in Hebrews. It says he goes to the cross for the joy set before him. That makes no sense, you know, in the, in the sort of cultural view of joy. And then peace is this giant biblical idea. It's not just, you know, the absence of chaos. Peace is like right relationship with one another. Yeah. Peace, you know, there peace is actually a Jewish greeting. You know, they say shalom to one another. And it's a way scholars will say it's a way of saying, hey, are we good? Are Whoa. we right? That's peace, you know? I think those are the answers. If we can really cultivate by God's spirit, if we can cultivate genuine love joy and peace, it untangles us and untethers us from this enslavement we feel to comparison, contempt, and then despair. And we find ourselves moving away from discontentment and finding deep contentment in God and with others through love, joy, and peace. That's so good. I want to talk through one more before we get to really practical. Okay, so what do we do with 
just the the digital space that you, you mentioned. Like I thought I had thick skin. It's actually really thin, and just the overall outrage that's everybody's doing, including myself. Share about what's the resolve to that? Yeah, outrage culture, right? Like that's what we live in right now, and um, you see it online all the time. And then, sadly and and destructively, you begin to feel it, it even in your body. You know, um, there's there's uh, so much that the scriptures have to say about gentleness. And uh, Paul includes that as one of the characteristics and attributes. And again, culturally speaking, when we think of when we think of gentleness, we think of it as uh, just quiet, calm, peace. You know, some sort of like external expression of um, you know, sort of like the serene uh, setting that that we might have in our minds. But gentleness is actually way more than that. Um, in fact, in the ancient world, in the Greco-Roman world in which Paul was writing his letter to the Galatians, gentleness was not a virtue. It was a vice. There's a lot of literature, particularly from uh, Greek, and Roman, um, Greek and Roman philosophers at the time of Paul, where they just like literally bash gentleness. There's all this stuff <laughs> written about like, oh, essentially I'm paraphrasing, but essentially they'll say like, Real men aren't gentle. Real men are aggressive and they conquer and they rule and they destroy, you know, and they take names, you know, like that kind of thing. And uh, it's really fascinating because Jesus, um, whatever you think or believe or don't think or don't believe about him, this incredible Jewish rabbi, he embodies gentleness yeah. and he upholds it as a value that sort of sets a tone for the Christian ethic. But the power in it to me is that gentleness, as Jesus puts it on display and as the Bible explains it, gentleness is not like a meek, meager, um, fearful, cowering beneath the outrage. Gentleness is a way to stand tall, broad-shouldered, to face and confront outrage with a sort of settledness of soul, yeah. sort of anchoredness and a steadiness that is hard to find anywhere else. And I think it has an ability to cut through the outrage, right? Um, and, and there's a real power in that. And it's not easy, right? Because you know, everything in us, yeah, everything in us wants to rage. Like we want to rage against the thing, you know, like rage against the machine. Like that, what a name for a band, right? Like that's what we want to do. But but the Christian calling is to actually not cower from outrage, but to confront outrage with gentleness, with a steadiness and a confidence that our hope is not in whatever divides us culturally now. Our hope is in the timeless, eternal reality that God's in control and we don't need to fear. And that actually breeds not outrage, but but real gentleness, steadiness. And gentleness is one of the fruits of the spirit that I feel like is the that shines the brightest. It sounds like quiet, but it's actually speaks volumes. Practically speaking, are you thinking we throw away our phones? Like, like help help me help, help me like realistically, like what things can I implement in my life 
Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I'll suggest a couple of things. One, uh, I first learned this from uh, my friend Andy Crouch, who's written extensively about this, got a fantastic book called The TechWise Family, I think, which is where I first read this. And it's been transformative in my life and in my family's life. Um, he suggests, and in our family, we practice digital Sabbaths. So uh, a way to think about it is one hour a day, one day a week, one week a year. So is there one hour a day when you can completely detach from all things digital? A great way to do that, a way we do that in our family is at dinner. And dinner, eating the food might not take an hour, but we commit an hour. Phones, laptops, email, texting, all of that stuff goes away. Our phones get docked in our kitchen in a little docking station, laptops put away in a backpack, and it's just us as a family breaking bread, sharing a meal, laughing, checking in with one another, telling jokes, being human with each other. And then one day a week, is there one day a week? I mean, that sounds daunting to a lot of people, but for our family, the way we do it is on Saturdays. We just put it away. I'm with my family, so there's no emergency where I absolutely have to, someone has to get a hold of me. <laughs> Um, so, you know, maybe sometimes there's church stuff, but I'll get it late at night, but during the day, the entire day, phones are off. We usually go on a hike and we just, again, try to play in the backyard, front yard, go out for ice cream. We just try to do things that are really human, uh, where it's not mediated by digital. And then this is really daunting, but one week a year. So I just actually did this. I took a three week vacation in June. And the very first week we took our kids because they're young. We took them to Disneyland and then to San Diego. And I had my phone because you need it for the app at Disneyland. You know, you got to strategize so you get to the short lines. That feels like cheating, but, uh, but I'll let you pass this time. <laughs> I'll let you pass. Keep going. But, keep going. <laughs> yeah, but I deleted everything else. I deleted uh, all my social media from my phone. I deleted my email. You know, I turned all texting notifications off. And so um, it was a whole week where it was just unplugged and we were together. Cal Newport has this fantastic book about deep work, and he has this phrase called frenetic shallowness. And he's talking about all the different pings and dings that come at us <sighs> in the digital age. And he's a psychologist. He's done a lot of research and, and it's data-based. He basically says, if you are constantly in a state of frenetic shallowness, you are unable to do deep work. And I found that to be true. I was just constantly in frenetic shallowness because everything was pinging at me, trying to vie for my attention. And so nothing pings at me anymore. Um, I don't have any social media on my phone. Uh, so that, that's really annoying, but it's really helpful. So if I want to go on Twitter or Instagram, I have to like go on my laptop and open it up. And it's been super helpful because I was finding myself in any moment of boredom going to social media, waiting in line at the grocery store, waiting at the DMV, waiting to pick up my daughter from school. I was boom. I was on social media. And what it was doing to me, I was losing depth in my mind. In other words, I, I realized that before social media, I had these long stretches of boredom but that boredom would eventually give way to creativity. Yeah. Like I would find myself with my own thoughts and I would tap into this part of me. It was like my ideas would become sort of alive and colored because I was just with my own thoughts. But now all of that time was just getting sucked into like scrolling the feed. 
And I, I didn't want to lose that. So I deleted social media from my phone and that's been a game changer for me. So there you go. Just a few practical thoughts. That's, that's fantastic. I, I made a, 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 like three, four months ago, I, uh, I kept wanting to not have my phone by my bed, but my cop out answer was I need an alarm clock. Well, believe it or not, they actually do sell alarm clocks separately. It's yes. a, it's the craziest <laughs> thing. So I went online, got on Amazon, found this actually kind of cool looking clock for 16 bucks. And I yeah. now have my phone on a charger on the other side of the room. And I put it on there. Like when I'm getting ready for bed, it goes on there. And I haven't missed it. And then, you know, when I got up, the first thing I used to do was grab it from my charger as I'm going to get ready for the, for the day. And now I've been waiting even after I shower and I'm get, I'm dressed and and really the next step I think is just leaving it downstairs in our kitchen of just taking that next step just to have even more room, and I I think like I just think about how much more peace I start my day with, and yeah. even just the effects on our anxiety and de- depression. Yeah. Um, with yep. comparison and anger and next, the next news cycle, like I, I just more and more, I'm like, this is impacting our souls and the quality, yeah. the quality of, of our lives in, in, in such a drastic way that I don't think we realize the impact that, that, it, that, it, that it has on us. Uh, yeah. Jay, uh, practical, uh, we, we talked practical steps. Um, is there been something that you feel like God has been teaching you? Um, just in general, it could be connected with the book, but is there something that God's been teaching you personally? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of connected, but it's much bigger than just this book. I think one of the things that I've learned, um, even painfully at moments at times in the last several years is in the digital age, it's sort of a microwave culture, you know? So we talk about the fruit of the spirit. We want to have love, joy, peace, and all this stuff. And then we're in a mad rush to get it. You know, we want to yeah. microwave it. We want to we want to put the seed of the spirit in a microwave, push, you know, one one and a half minutes, and then boom, we've got the fruit and we can just but anybody who's got a fruit tree or maybe a little garden in their backyard, they'll tell you you can't microwave uh living things. It's just not how it works. Um, it's gardening. You know, there's a reason why it's the fruit of the spirit, you know, not a TV dinner of the spirit. Um, gardening takes a long time. You plant the seed, you get your hands in the dirt and the soil, and you're you got dirt under your fingernails and you're sweaty and you're toiling and laboring, cultivating the soil, watering it, make sure it has enough sunlight, all those sorts of things. And then you come back the next day and it just looks like a pile of dirt, you know. <laughs> And you want to give up. You want to walk away. It's like, where's my fruit? Where's my vegetables? You know, but that's how gardening works. Fruit takes a long time and it bears in particular seasons. And so that's what I've been learning. Um, You got to go slow, but you got to be faithful. You just got to keep at it every day. You know, for me, it's every day praying, God, by your spirit, would you bear this fruit in me? Would you help me be a person of, you know, patience and kindness and goodness today a little bit more than I was yesterday? Not that I'm going to perfect it. Not that I'm just like a completely changed person overnight. 
just a little more patience today, just a little more self-control today, you know, whatever it might be. And then over the long haul, you realize, man, God's been faithful. You know, he's, he's bearing fruit in my life and you embrace the reality. This is a lifelong thing. You know, it's a life I'll never arrive, um, but I've got to enjoy the journey knowing that God's with me and for me. And uh, as long as I'm open and available, um, his spirit is doing work in me, even in those moments when I can't see it. Conversation with Adam Weber is produced by the Converge Podcast Network and proudly distributed on Faith Radio. Special thanks to these partners. For more information on this show, visit convergepodcast.com. This show is part of the Converge Podcast Network. 